I'm Jason Klom, and this is Comedy on Vinyl. The year is 1973. The album, Richard Nixon, A Fantasy. The uh, star of the album, Richard... My God, see, this is my my brain. This is my tenth podcast in two days or something. <laughs> ah, the artist David Fry. My guest this week, Peter Gaffney. Thank you so much for doing the show. Oh, thanks, uh, thanks, Jason. It's fun. I love when people who have written a ton of cartoons in their life uh, pick a Nixon album. This is not the first time it's happened. Um, it could be the fact that, that other person, um, you know, uh, has also, you know. You've both you've both written for The Simpsons. Uh, you've written for my goodness. I mean, I don't even remember how long your credits list is. You know, I know you wrote for Recess. You've written for. Did you write for Lloyd in Space? A friend of mine asked me to. ask No, for I didn't write for Lloyd in Space. Okay, he told me to ask because he's a big fan of that one. Um, yeah. uh, but you. you you picked this this record, which uh, I had forgotten I even owned physically, and it's right down there too. But um, <laughs> what? Uh, why did you pick it? First of all. Well, uh, let me be honest. I picked it because it came to mind, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and you know, and but but it really was it. That was like a seminal period in my life and my development of my uh, my comedy, mm -hmm. uh, my my comedy perception. I mean, the Watergate was was just so such this brilliant period in mm -hmm. in American comedy, and and I was like you know twelve or thirteen at the sure. time. And uh, I remember I used to, I, I had this Latin teacher who was really cool and I would write these little comic bits for her. Mm -hmm. Every day I would bring in a comic bit and it would be oh like set in ancient Rome, but it would like, you know, you know, Consul Richardus Nixonus or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Holy cow. Yeah. But, Do you have um, any of those still? That's my question. Do any of those? No, I don't. I gave them all to her. Sure. You know, I, I bring in this thing and, and put it on her desk, and, and uh, I wish I did have them. That's Although so they good. might be just kind of embarrassing. Yeah, but I mean, that's kind of part of it, right? I mean, yeah. when you're young, you write some terribly embarrassing stuff. Um, this record, my God, I had not realized also how... Um, so this is, again, we, this is 1973. Not the first time uh, David Fry is doing Rick, Richard Nixon by this point. His Nixon is the Nixon, um, or are there is there anybody else that, who did it who stood out? I just feel like David Fry is the one who made the most money off of it, or the most records. Yeah, I think so. I mean, it, he was certainly the. I mean, everybody did Nixon, mm -hmm. but but he was like the political guy. Yes, you know, the, the political impressionist, you know. And he also he also did a great LBJ. Uh huh. Um, which I don't even remember what that sounded like. I, don't, I barely remember what LBJ sounded like, but mm -hmm. I think he was um, physically, I mean, his, the, his look was better for LBJ because he wore like the little glasses and, you know, um, <laughs> he doesn't really, he doesn't really look a lot like Nixon, but um, no. you really can't tell on the record anyway. Fair, fair. It is a very, what I was pointing out is the back of this is a very sparse look. It's just, um, it's just a bunch of handwriting. There's nothing else. Uh, did, did you own this physically or did your I family did. have it? Did you I buy did. it? Um, yeah. I mean, I, I listened to it a million, million times. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, I have it on I have it on uh, uh, CD now, but I no longer have the vinyl. Sure. Did you, uh, is it, okay, so if you're that age, were you at the age where you're getting to go buy your own stuff? Or what? what was your comedy album buying situation at the time? I don't. You know, I don't know. I, I mean, I didn't, I have no idea where I got that, but I remember I did have a number of, uh, 
a number of comedy albums. Mm -hmm. um, I had more comedy albums than I had rock and roll albums. I don't think I had a single rock and roll album until I was like 16 or something. I was very, sure. very slow in my, my musical development. But. Mm -hmm. So you are, boy, oh boy, here's the thing is like, I, so I'm just trying to think when I was 13, so that was 1993, I am growing up with, let's just make as many sex jokes as we can about the president on TV. That's basically all that's happening. <laughs> I mean, he had yet to be impeached uh, for the thing he was impeached for. Now, uh, you are growing up in an era <laughs> that is, I mean, it's just immediate disillusionment. You, were you even young enough to have any trust in the government or were your parents, could you see it in your parents where it's like, no, this is a thing we used to, or did they, maybe they liked Nixon, I don't know. But I, I'd be curious to know like what your evolution with the understanding of politics Well, was. it's interesting because I went from... Um, I remember my dad in, in like in in 68, I'm not sure, my, my parents were both Republicans mm -hmm. for for many years until um, until the 70s, until maybe Watergate. OK. And, you know, my, by the time my dad died, he was like, you know, way far left. It was an interesting political evolution. Yeah. But, but I went through I went through a really strange political evolution because I think I think my father had convinced me. I don't know if it was in 72. I think it was in 72 that like. At the beginning of 1972, I was for Nixon because I thought that was the stability the country needed. Okay, but by by November, I was for McGovern, mm -hmm. and um, by within a couple of years, I was a communist. Wow! <laughs> and, wow! Um, yeah, I you know I sort of uh, I, I was I remember go, going to New York City and going to China Books and Periodicals, which was this this uh, bookstore that stole that 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 sold all these. Um, uh, books and posters from like translations of Chairman Mao and huge, yeah. huge posters of, of, you know, marching forward. Yeah. Yeah. Stuff like that. Oh my God. That's fascinating. Now, where did you grow up? I forgot to ask. Um, in a place called Endicott, New York, which is an upstate oh. New York. It's about, um, a hundred, uh, 200 miles from New York city, I think. About an hour from where I grew up. So that's funny. I oh, where was that? that? Uh, Lauren's a uh, very small town. Oneonta though is the nearest oh, like, yeah, yeah. city city. So you know, not that far away at all. We would always go roughly to Endicott or if we, if we wanted to go to a real mall, we'd go to that part of the state. That's usually what it was. <laughs> Endicott the or city. Yeah. Mm -hmm. All the time, all the time. Uh, that's funny. Okay. So then, so then the Republican thing kind of tracks a little more cause I don't think people realize how, um, how, how conservative, roughly conservative upstate New York can be, um, oh, yeah. because they sort of always assume that New York is a quote unquote blue state, but no, I mean, there's a, there's a huge chunk out in upstate that is uh, a mix mixed at the, at the very least. Yeah. Um, if not, uh, I, I, we had a, we had a democratic, uh, congressman, but mm -hmm. I bet they don't have democratic congressmen up there anymore. I bet everybody's a Republican. Yeah. I'd have to wonder. I should ask my mother. I was just, just interviewing her for a podcast. I, I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'd be curious to know. Uh, so what was your knowledge of David Fry? Was this, has you, had you seen him on TV a bunch and then you decided to buy the record you think, or. I think I had seen him on TV mm -hmm. and, you know, and I loved impressionists. I always okay. did for some reason. I just would, I could get out a kick out of somebody just doing the guy's voice. So it didn't have to be jokes, mm -hmm. you know? Um, and, uh, um, so yeah, but I don't know where I came across David Fry. I don't know where I came across this album. I don't know if I got it because of Nixon or because mm -hmm. of David Fry or, yeah. or, or what, but I just remember I had it and I played it over and over again. I just, <laughs> I just listened to it again. And, um, 
I was shocked by how much of it I remembered verbatim. Really? Yeah. <laughs> I love I mean, hearing that. 50 it, years later, it's weird. It's also um, what I was not expecting. I think I could be wrong, but I think the laughter's mostly canned. Yeah. Um, if not entirely. However, there's some. They do a few smart things. Uh, they're in and out on these gags. They're not usually that extended. Uh, but also, I wasn't as expecting it to be as dark as it gets. It gets real mm-hmm. dark. That is not something of... These records are normally like, let's make light of the politicians. Let's kind of first family them if we can. But this one's dark. Yeah. I mean, it's literally, there's a bunch about... Towards the end, the final track is is, is about, hey, uh, Nixon's about to be executed and a bunch yeah. of people want to do it. Yeah, everybody's like, you know, like George McGovern is, you know, like, you know, normally I'm against killing, but in this case, I'll make an exception. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man, I just I was not expecting that. So I'm now I'm now wanting to know more about David Fry, because I think in my head, all impressionists just become Von Meter. And I uh, even though I do impressions myself sometimes, but it's one of those things where it's like, okay, this guy had a different perception. I'm just surprised that this album got any kind of release, given that it literally is talking about the president dying in any in any yeah. context, you know. But you know, it was a different time. You could get away with that kind of thing. I think. Sure. But um, you know the the thing that I think is interesting about it is that it kind of holds up. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's not brilliant comedy, but it's sure. it's like funny jokes. Mm-hmm. You know, throughout throughout the whole thing. I I, I saw it was co-written by uh, Gabe Kaplan. Oh yeah, right. My God, and I, uh, it's and crazy. it's just you know, I mean, there's just some stuff in there that I still think is funny. You know, it's like, you know, I think it's ten to one that I'll be impeached, and a thousand to one that I'll go to jail, <laughs> and that has nothing to do with the fact that I'm sending to Congress today a prison reform bill. You know, it's just like <laughs> it's good stuff. It is good stuff, <laughs> and so much of it is was ringing because. I wrote a thing early into Trump's uh, whatever you want to call it, his reign uh, about like, hey, here are five albums that try to destroy Richard Nixon. And that was five of, you know, 20 or 30, however many they released. And um, I had kind of forgotten that his thing was I love America. And it was yeah. just like, and that was, and the, like them treating that his res, his response to everything is this is generic. No, 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 I love America, and I, yeah. I, you know, I, I, <laughs> and then at the end he goes, I hate America. America. I've always hated America. <laughs> Finally admits it. You try growing up in Whittier, California. <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty good. It's pretty good. I, I, I. Uh, there's this. I don't know. It, do you, I'm trying to think. A lot of these records are either, like I said, are either very light in terms of like, I have one that I think is. A, it's a comedy album that is a music album about Spiro Agnew. I have to dig back because I've got oh a lot of Oh, my God. That's and awesome. it is like, it's bad. A lot of them are really terrible. This one's got, again, like you say, it's got jokes. At the very least, you can say yeah. that. Some of these feel so churned out. This one doesn't necessarily feel like that. Yeah. No, it's kind of, you know, it's it's very short. It's like, it's yes. like uh, 30 minutes long, mm-hmm. if that, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but yeah, and, it, and it's got, it's got a story. Mm-hmm. And, it go you know goes from beginning to end and it's just you know and funny twists and turns like when he gets gets like you know there's an escape and then he gets <laughs> you know sent to the electric chair <laughs> governor rockefeller calls and he thinks he's getting a getting a, a commutation but actually he's just like he wants to make sure everything's going okay <laughs> yeah, just to check in oh that's pretty good i also i feel like on most of these albums somebody has to do a kissinger and I'm mm-hmm. always fascinated by impressions of Kissinger, 
Um, and then more fascinated by the fact that he is still weirdly respected in some circles and, and alive. I mean, that's, yeah. a weird, but yeah. you know, See, what's uh, weird about that, the Kissinger, it felt to me like, um, like Fry was doing, he was more doing like Peter Sellers as Dr. Strangelove than that's Kissinger. What, that's yeah. what I felt too. Yeah. <laughs> I, he really just wanted to lay in on the German part of it. The, well, yeah. let's just say German. <laughs> sure. That's the word for it. Uh, it, yeah, I, I, <laughs> do you have a favorite track off of this album? There are only a few. And what are we talking about? 13, 13 tracks. So, um, I don't know. I think that it's, there's there's so much good stuff and it's it, it, like it goes in and out of of being funny but i i mm-hmm. I, th- I think that this my favorite thing is that uh that like i'm sending to congress a prison reform bill that mm-hmm. was just um but it's um yeah i mean i mean throughout it's just i, I was like like i said i was surprised at how well it held up and mm-hmm. how much you're you sort of like oh this is interesting and you know here's this you know here's this prison break and then there's the the you know and then there's like billy graham escorting him to the the mm-hmm. electric chair mm-hmm. you know and i mean and i don't remember the way a lot of these guys actually sounded right but, right i mean these are these are not I, I wouldn't say these are great impressions right. of, of any of these people. You know, the Billy Graham is not even that great. I mean, you, you, you feel like, OK, yeah, it kind of reminds me of Billy Graham. Yeah, yeah. But it's it's it, it, it's not like uh, the, those guys in the, the trip doing uh, you, you've seen the trip oh movies. Yes. With, with the, going back and forth with Michael Caine. Now, here's Michael <laughs> Caine in 1973 and here he is in 1978, you know. Yeah. <laughs> Like there's 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 no nuance to any of these impressions. It's weird that it's become so much of an art. Not that it wasn't then. If you look at anything Frank Gorshin did, uh, mm-hmm. you'll just like you'll if you're also an impressionist, you're like, oh, I should quit because nobody's this good. Um, but then, yeah, there are people like like uh, Steve Coogan and, and, and Rob Brydon doing. <laughs> do they yeah. do? They also do Pacino, right? I think they also do Pacino. Mm-hmm. Those. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah it's, it's become like, an art you, form. like various periods in their lives and stuff like that. Yeah, I think it was a lot. You know, it was a lot it was a lot broader a thing generally, mm-hmm. you know, and you just had to like, you, you just had to like kind of get the, get the gist of it. And, mm-hmm. and people say, Oh, okay. That's Nixon. Go ahead. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm with you. And, um, you know, I don't know. I mean, it's, it's, um, I don't know what, I don't, you know, I don't really know what the state of the art is now, you know, like mm-hmm. how many people are really doing it. I mean, are people, are people doing impressions in comedy clubs and stuff? I don't know. I wonder in terms of like actual just general comics and if it isn't just one or two people who are making an ass load of money in Vegas from doing it. There are a couple yeah. of people who do that and it's like they're also brilliant at it. Very, very good at it. And other than that and sketch comedy, where is the need? I could be wrong. There will yeah. be people correcting me on this, but. Yeah. Uh, and, and in sketch comedy, like SNL and stuff like that, they don't they don't rely on really for most for the most part, they don't rely on great impressions, you know, no. you get like a, there get, there's a few like really brilliant ones. But mostly it's just, you know, somebody who does like this broad comic version of it, which. It's interesting, too, though, because the Nixon one has, uh, you know, in different iterations still survived, even if you like me didn't really. I was alive when he was alive, but not during his administration. Mm-hmm. It's maybe even more surprising that any general Kennedy impression, because all the Kennedy impressions like you do one and it's all you have to do is say <laughs> as he does in this. How many times does he do the Chappaquiddick thing? It's like, yeah. oh, my God, 
he's the does, most... Yeah, he does it at least twice. He just <laughs> loves it. You know? I came back and Mary Jo in the car disappeared. Something like that. It's <laughs> yeah. like, oh, God, holy shit. Oh, boy. Again, unrelenting. Unrelenting sketch comedy, which is a weird thing. Uh, it feels like it has an agenda, but also mm-hmm. feels like they're, they're not forgetting to make very good jokes. Yeah. You know, and it's, yeah, and it's, it's, it's definitely... Uh... It definitely, it definitely feels like you know David Fry was not a big fan of Nixon. You know? Yeah, <laughs> not yeah, one of those I'm, guys. I'm sure who's... Dave Kaplan wasn't. It was, oh it boy, was, uh... yeah. <laughs> Nixon. Yeah. I mean, Nixon was so was so good as, as somebody you could you could hate on so many levels, mm-hmm. and with st- and and still it still was funny. You know, right. I mean, he just and and was was such an easy person to caricature. Mm-hmm. Which I think that's that's why some of these people have survived. That you know, like like Kennedy and Nixon and even FDR, that like some of these people were very easy to caricature. And you know, if you if you've even heard of them, you you'd recognize yeah. a Kennedy impression, even if you were weren't alive when any of the Kennedy boys were alive. Right. Yeah. I mean, I, I think the worst you're going to get is you know somebody maybe thinking, oh, that's a Mayor Quimby impression. Okay. Well, <laughs> yeah. I, I have had a friend do that, and I had to be like, okay, well, let me let me back this up for you just to give you a little bit of context so that you know what you're talking about. Uh, but yeah, it's pretty funny. Uh, those things become this shorthand for every anything. It depends on the on the context of the situation. But if you're talking about um, sexual misconduct and pol- misconduct and politics. Do a little bit of a Clinton, do a little bit of a Kennedy. Everybody knows what you're talking about. Yeah, uh, yeah. It's it's weird that I wonder what. Now I don't know enough about what happened to David Fry after this. Um, uh, well, not necessarily after this album. I know he he made. Let's see how many did he make. I'm now realizing he did a Nixon album in 1996. How is that possible? Wow. <laughs> Holy shit. I, wow. I, you know, I think he had troubles. I don't know that I, I didn't look him up or anything, but I mm-hmm. think he had some, some issues, some, maybe some depression issues and stuff mm-hmm. like that. I don't know. But, uh, yeah, I seem to, I seem to remember that he went through some tough times. I, I think, I guess that, that happens to impress us. I think Von Meter went through a rough spot oh, after, boy, uh, did he <laughs> after uh, Kennedy died. And he kept trying to like, it, what's interesting is it, he hated, being the Kennedy guy so much that he almost wasn't on the sequel album, which got pulled from shelves anyway, and mm. then tried to make his own albums that literally nobody gave two shits about. Like nobody, nobody cared that those albums existed. Um, even his widow was like, "Yeah, it's not his best work." I talked to her, and she's like, "Yeah, it's not his best well, stuff." Yeah. Um, and, and as I recall, he, his Kennedy wasn't even that good. Really, it was just something yeah. he did. Yeah, and he he looked ish like mm. uh, like him and. But there was something there was something in the air because, again, that album sold faster and more than any record comedy or otherwise ever sold. Um, I wonder if people are going to be tired with me bringing up Von Meter, because I, I'm sure by the time this comes out, I have interviewed <laughs> so many other people about it. I actually spoke with a lady today who was in the album. She's oh. not quite sure where she is in it because she's basically an extra. And I was kind of fascinated by that. I'm wow. Like, but you were there for it. You know, it's like a huge album. So. Yeah, yeah, he did. So David Fry did an album in 69, but then uh, the Nixon ones were talking Radio Free Nixon in 71, then in, then a, another one in 71, then this one in 73. Skipped a few. 1980, he does David. Uh, oh, wait, no, that's the Great Debate. That's not a Nixon one. But again, he does Fry is Nixon in 1996. And then it won about Clinton in 1998. Wow. Uh, holy cow. That's uh, he's he committed. Yeah. Las Vegas. There we go. He, he passed away in Las Vegas. So I'm assuming that must have been his career. That must have been, you know, 
comedian yeah. doing stuff up on stage, uh, doing impressions for the rest of his life. That is fascinating to me. Uh, what about this? Uh, does, so th the album still feels like, is it just the jokes or is there, or you also have like sort of like these, does, is it bringing up other political feelings that make this still feel relevant to you? Well, I don't know. It's so, mm -hmm. it, it, it's so, um, it's so far removed from, you know, what we're, what we're dealing with now. It's yeah. so, it's just, I mean, you, you know, I mean, we, it was so interesting when, you know, when Trump came in mm -hmm. and you'd think here would be the guy that would, th this would be a golden age of political comedy, mm -hmm. but you know, he, he's so far beyond the pale that it just, it, it became impossible to make jokes about it. Cause you couldn't, you couldn't exaggerate it in the, in the normal way you'd exaggerate right. stuff. Right. And, yeah. and it just so, so, suddenly it's, you know, and it's, 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 it's like, you know, I mean, I'm sure, I'm sure when Hitler came in, they thought it was going to be a golden age of comedy, but, right. um, but it, and it proved to be like, it's a little, little dark, mm -hmm. <laughs> a little too dark for, mm -hmm. for, for laughs, you know, and, and, but that's part of it. But it's also just that, you know, it's just so far beyond the pale. I mean, and, but every, you know, throughout this, throughout my life, it seems like, you know, people, these people come along and like, I can't believe Richard Nixon is actually president of the United States. That's yep. ridiculous. You know, yeah. it's a, and I, I remember why, you know, I, on laughing in, in like 1970, 72, mm -hmm. you know, they did the news of the future. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's like, you know, today, you know, 1980, you know, here's the news of 1984, President Ronald Reagan, huge laugh, <laughs> oh, you know, because nobody could believe that Ronald Reagan could become president, you know, no. and then, you know, Arnold Schwarzenegger becomes governor of oh, California. And it's, it's it. like, I can't believe this, this move, you know, this guy, you know, it's not, not just a movie actor, but Arnold Schwarzenegger becomes governor. And now you're thinking, boy, I wish we had a guy like Schwarzenegger in the White House. That would right. be good. You know, we could, you know, he's he's pretty smart, you know. And and it's just like things get, get I mean, things have just gotten weirder and weirder and weirder. Mm -hmm. um, and as, as this ongoing thing in the course of my life, and it's just, you know, and it's now hit this level of like, I mean, I, I couldn't believe George W. Bush was elected president because he was so stupid. Yeah. And yeah. yet, <laughs> and yet, I mean, and now again, he's looking presidential, you know, God help us compared uh -huh. to the, the current guy. But but I, I'm sure you don't want to talk about Donald Trump. Uh, well, not specifically. Well, you know, it's to the <laughs> point where I've been doing this political satire thing, this particular project, since 2004, and I intentionally, like, one of the things is we never mention who's actually in office. We don't. It's making fun of politics in general. And now uh, I'm wrapping it up later this year, but it's to the point where there's almost no political stuff left in it. These characters are all just writing their books about their time in politics, and it's because I don't. What the fuck can I even say at this point? I have no jokes to make anymore. It's about a guy getting out of politics now. You know, that's basically mm -hmm. what the joke is. And it's like, ah, <laughs> oh, because I'm, I'm also done. I'm done doing that kind of political satire, maybe for the rest of my life. It's yeah. uh, stressful. <laughs> it's stressful. To say nothing of the people who are actually dealing with actual oppression. Um, yeah. Speaking of not oppression, is that a segue? That's not a segue. Um, I'd like to know what other records, though, that you were picking up at the time, or was this like your one? Sometimes that happens. People are like, no, this is the one record I listened to. You know, I mean, it's interesting because it's hard to remember, um, you know, what I listened to when. Mm -hmm. um, I, rem I remember my, my, in my in the house that I grew up in, there was this long closet with doors on either end 
Mm-hmm. And my parents didn't listen to music, but they had like um, a uh, a little cabinet in the middle of this closet, which is mostly filled with clothes, but like you have to like hike back into the back of the closet. And here's this cabinet and it's full of records. And most of them are, um, are classical, are classical music records, you know, okay. and then, and then there's a, then there's a few like kids records that were probably, they were, they were from before my time, but probably somebody, some older cousin or something gave them to us for me. Mm-hmm. Um, but then there were the, uh, a couple of Bob Newhart albums. Sure. And, and that stuff, I mean, was just so good. Mm-hmm. And, and so I remember that was probably, I listened to that before and um and then in about i'm thinking a little bit after this period i started uh a, a friend of mine i said I, I was i had the i had all these got people all over the country that i was like writing letters to and they were it was mostly kind of about science fiction and fantasy but it but there awesome. was this one guy and i remember his name his name was bob radzuski and he was in chicago okay and he sent me um a tape you know, like this little cassette tape he'd made off of an album of mm-hmm. Monty Python. And oh this God. was before Monty Python, at least before I was aware of Monty Python. Mm-hmm. And that totally, um, that totally revolutionized my, um, my taste in comedy. Yeah. Yeah. You know? Is that, I mean, obviously, you've already said that you're writing. <laughs> I love that. I really wish those sketches existed. Uh, the these 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 jokes about <laughs> Richard is Nixonist, like that 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 is fantastic. I uh, was that the beginning of you as a comedy writer? Yeah, uh, it was. Yeah. You yeah. know, I um I'd always been interested in writing, but uh, that was for some reason. You know, that was the, that was the start of my writing comedy stuff, and then um and then when I got into high school. Um, I, I engaged in this big writing project with a bunch of other people, which we, we called it the Erebor Chronicles. Uh-huh. It was like, but it was just like sort of this parody of stuff that was going on in our high school, which, which then turned into like this weird kind of board of the rings, uh, type, uh, <laughs> yes. d- Tolkien satire. I um, love it. Also, does that exist? There's my next question, because again, these things are fascinating to me. <laughs> What like parodies? No, does your thing still exist? Is the oh the Erebor Chronicles yeah, yeah. does exist, uh, unbelievably so because um, amazing. My house burned down in two thousand three, and I lost like a bunch of, of stuff, you know. And uh, but I do have uh, at some point in the nineteen uh, eighties or nineties, a high school friend of mine who had the this entire thing that had been written by a bunch of people, you know, often like handwritten on notebook paper and stuff sure. like that. He took it and he Xeroxed it all and he, and he bound it up and he sent copies to everybody that had been involved so in it. Good. And so okay. I'm pretty sure I still have a copy of that. That's somewhere. amazing. I, lo- I, I just love when that stuff still exists and the people yeah. hold on to it. Because it is, it's like it's even if no none of those people went into writing. I like the also the idea of collaborative writing. That was not something that would have happened at my school, except for my best friend and I. We both wrote stories together. I love the idea that this many people getting together and it becomes this almost maybe un, un, unwieldy project, but enough that he had them all. That's good mm-hmm. God. The foresight to hold on to that is fantastic. Yeah, no, it was. I, I think I had I had held on to to some copies of a copy of it 
too. But I mean, mm-hmm. it, was, it was definitely, it was, you know, it was a, it was an unwieldy thing. Cause like I said, a bunch of people wrote it and I, and who knows where it all wound up, but somehow he got a hold of it. He's a, he's kind of like this, this archivist type figure who would do mm-hmm. something like that, you know, manage to get together all this material and then copy it. Man. Yeah. Man after my own heart. I love that stuff. Do you, can you, is it easy to trace, uh, you know, as you've written a lot of things, um, again, I think the stuff that maybe might be more recognizable to people is all, all, all your work in cartoons, but, yeah. um, is it easy to trace the, um, influence of something like this to your, to your writing of cartoons? Because I mean, you know, there's always the, Hey, sometimes cartoons are super subversive. Uh, but then there's other times where you're like, no, I just wanted to write something fun. I'm curious if it's easy to tra- trace that influence. Um, it's not easy to trace the influence, but I mean, there's always been this, you know, this comedic strain in everything I've, I've written, you know, Mm -hmm. and and the only reason I got into writing cartoons was just, uh, uh, I was, I moved out to California. I've been working at MTV. I I went, I came out here when I was, uh, right out of college. And then, uh, um, I went back to work for National Lampoon in New York. Mm-hmm. And then from there, I went to MTV. And at, at some point, I decided, well, if I'm going to write for TV, I've got to be in L.A. I can't be. But I didn't have any leads, really. Okay. And I and the day I arrived in Los Angeles or the day after I arrived in Los Angeles, um, I got a call from this this guy, Paul Germain. I know you've had him on the mm-hmm. your show. And uh, he was doing the show Rugrats. And he just he just called me up out of the blue because somebody at MTV had given him my name. Okay. And that one phone call like engendered my entire career. That's crazy. Yeah. Wow. Again, I, you know, there are stories. <laughs> it's not the kind of story that's going to happen uh, much anymore. It's, it's, it's almost, it, I also had uh, the director Jay Sandrich on the podcast years ago. Oh, wow. And, you know, he's directed some of the greatest episodes in the history of sitcoms. But I was all like, hey, how did you get into the business? And it was practically, I walked onto the lot of Desilu, asked if they were hiring, and I was working the next day. And it's just, it's it's interesting to see, by the way, how that kind of slowly but surely becomes less and less easy. But still, for you, a phone call and bada boom. That's amazing. Yeah, and, and not from somebody I didn't know. And it's yeah. just like, you know. And I, I have this I have this friend in New York named Peter Elwell, who's a children's book illustrator. Mm-hmm. But when he came to New York, he no, he didn't go to college. He um, he grew up in Washington, D.C. And at some point he had, he was never trained as a, an illustrator, mm-hmm. but he started drawing. And um, I think he'd been like into Renaissance music or something before that. But he started okay. drawing and he, he comes to New York and. He just walks into the office of the New York Times, and at that time, their uh, their book review always had an illustration on the cover. Sure, okay. And he just walks into the office of the New York Times book review and says, "Hey, I'm you know got any work?" And again, it was like just without any any contacts, any anything, just the the moxie to walk in there. And uh, yeah, I mean, I think that stuff happens all the time. Mm-hmm. It just doesn't happen very often. Right, 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 right. I see what you're saying. Yeah, yeah. Like it's generally still happening, but you know, it's hard to find those people who. Yeah. Also, if that's your secret, you don't tell anybody. You're like, uh, I'm just gonna sit back and keep doing this. They're still paying. <laughs> I mean, yeah, until they find out that I really have no talent <laughs> and uh, no credentials. Boy, talk about imposter syndrome. What? Um, how'd you get involved with the uh, the National Lampoon, and what kind of stuff were you writing? And uh, can I still find your issues somewhere? I'm sure I can. 
I, I don't know. I don't have my issues anymore. It was, it was, a, it was a, a very, it was a dark period in the history of National Lampoon. But mm -hmm. I had been on the Harvard Lampoon in college. Okay. And uh, a friend of mine, uh, Kevin Curran, who's, who's since passed away, mm -hmm. ha was a, uh, had become a contributing editor at National Lampoon. Oh, okay. And, uh, and he wound up after numerous journeys around America, living out, in, out here in Los Angeles for a while. And then he, he wound up back there and as a as on staff in their offices and they they were looking for uh actually my college roommates mike reese and al Jean, who went out to the simpsons mm -hmm. um they left the national lampoon and so they had an opening for for an editor and kevin called me up and says do you want to be you know you want to work for national lampoon i said yes of course i do you know mm -hmm. it's like almost no money but mm -hmm. then and this guy this guy Kevin was he had some he definitely had some issues especially back then and um, you know now, now that he's dead he doesn't really have any issues but <laughs> um, but at the, at the time so anyway so he calls me you know so I send him some material he calls me back he says yeah you got the job and so I get my plane reservations I'm gonna start on Monday it's like Friday I'm about to fly out and I suddenly realized I haven't talked to anybody at the magazine except for my friend Kevin who's got a very dark sense of humor and some psychological no. issues. No, no, no. So I wonder if I really have this job. So I, you know, like at the last last thing on Friday, I like call up the managing editor and go, hi, I'm uh, I'm Peter Gaffney. Um, I just wanted to check that you're expecting me to come in on Monday. <laughs> and he says, oh, yes, we're looking forward to it. I was like, But it's like one of those things that's like, gee, I, I probably should have checked on that a little earlier before I like, you know, sold my motorcycle and got rid of my apartment and stuff oh my god so how long were you there for i was there for just almost exactly a year okay it was like it was it was really you know past the glory days of national sure. lampoon and um at the end of the year i remember we uh maddie simmons who just just died a a, a little while ago a couple days ago i think a couple, couple wow. weeks ago maybe um he was the owner and we uh, we we saw the handwriting on the wall, and all of the editors went upstairs to his office and said, "We got to talk to you, Maddie. Uh, are we fired or what?" <laughs> and he said, "Yeah, you're fired." And he 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 brought in his sons to edit edit the magazine uh, after he got rid of us to save money. Wow, you know, went quarterly. It was you know, and it was like it was a it was a really it was really grim. We had to we had to put like a, a sexy girl on the cover of the magazine every month course, because that course. you know it's like fourteen year old boys are buying the magazine and mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you know uh, it was uh, it you, you kind of felt like you were just you know writing the stuff that no one would actually read. Right, right, right. That's weird because there's a part of me that thinks that would be freeing and another part of me that knows how friggin' frustrating that would be. Well, it was freeing because you could do almost anything. Uh -huh. I mean, and uh, it was fun. It was, uh, uh, I definitely, you know, I definitely enjoyed doing it. And it was, mm -hmm. it was like the easiest job in the world, you know, yeah. like you roll into the office at like, you know, noon <laughs> and a after like partying half the night and then, you know, and, and you'd crank out like one, you know, two page piece every month. And that would be, you know, <laughs> the extent of, uh, of, of the actual work involved. So it was, it was very, I mean, that sounds kind of great. That sounds, it was, great. it was, it was, a, it was a blast, <laughs> but, but it, it was not, it was not really creatively fulfilling. I get like, I, like I said, there were certain things like, yeah, this is pretty good. Yeah. 
but it was more like, oh, well, this is kind of fun. Let's do something that's just, you know, this is, this may not be anything that I'm going to, uh, you know, put into my, uh, my permanent archive, but it, it'll be Fair. fun to do. Uh, this is weird. We never like, <laughs> we're doing this almost reverse chronologically, but now I do want to go back to the Harvard Lampoon. Um, how many, you know, how many school years were you there? And I'm curious who else you wrote with. Cause I think we've had, if, well, we had Patrick Verone on, I'm trying to think who else we've had who wrote for the Harvard Lampoon, at least Patrick Verone, but I'm curious who else was also part of your, your class. Yeah. Patrick Verone is, was in my class and we, okay. we, we, he was not actually my roommate, but he might as well have been because <laughs> he, he used to hang out in our rooms all the time. Patrick, LG, Mike Reese, um, um, Andy Borowitz was a year older oh, than me. Okay. Um, it was, it was, uh, uh, Max Pross and Tom Gamble were a couple of years older than me. Okay. They, they went on to the Simpsons, you know, a whole bunch of people mm-hmm. obviously went on to the Simpsons, you know, which is how obviously I got my Simpsons scripts was just by, by knowing yeah. these people. Yeah. Um, but you know, it was weird cause when I started at, at the, at the Harvard Lampoon, it was not a conduit to, you know, TV fame and fortune, the mm-hmm. way it sort of became really right. after Andy Borowitz and, uh, and pe- people, it started just becoming this like, what, you know, pre-professional organization. But yeah. when I started, it really wasn't, we had, um, Jim Downey was at Saturday Night Live and he had brought in Max Pross and Tom Gamble. But other than that, most of the people, um, were coming out of the, were expecting at least to come out of Harvard and either go to law school or maybe if they had literary pretensions, they would go to New York and, and hopefully end up as a writer for the New Yorker or something. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, but, that's interesting uh, to me. I guess I it hadn't occurred to me how sort of that there must have been a line of demarcation all of a sudden where, oh, no, people are just coming out of here and being fed right into the pipeline. Yeah. You know, in fact, um, one of the reasons John Brancato, uh, who's a screenwriter, uh, one of my best friends and and his uh his wife, Jennifer Long Brancato, who is uh, who was on the Lampoon, and I, um, after college, we decided to come out to Los Angeles, um, not to get into show business, uh-huh. but because we the thought of being in New York City and seeing these same people we had known in college <laughs> at like cocktail parties for the next forty years. It just seemed like so depressing. <laughs> and so what happened was, you know, we came when we came out to Los Angeles, there was nobody here we knew. Okay. And within a few years, the town was full of all these people I knew in college. And now I'm going to these like, you know, cocktail parties and seeing the same people I've seen for 40 years. And it's like, well, this is not exactly what I signed on for. But you tried so hard. You and now so I don't hard. know anybody in New York City to speak of. <laughs> You know, I, I I would have a hard time finding a couch to crash on in New York. Do you? Okay, so if you were there during the same time period as Patrick, he did bring up there was an issue with the Harvard Lampoon, which I am still trying to hunt down. Um, he did let me listen to, to it, though. There's a flexi disc in one of them. Uh, oh yeah, roughly eighty three or so, maybe. Were you on that disc? At it was. All? Uh, it was before that. It, it was, was before um, that. Okay. It was a, it must've been 81, 81, okay. 80, 80 or 80, 81 or yeah, because I graduated in 81 and so did Patrick. Oh, okay. And, okay. um, and I do remember that, um, I remember that issue, but I can't remember, um, uh, I can't remember anything about it. Okay. I know that, uh, that Al Jean, um, from the Simpsons 
did an Ella Fitzgerald impression, That's right. which I'm sure he would not want to uh, see the light of day now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it exists mostly in a bunch of Harvard Lampoon uh, former writers' collections, and I have an MP3 of it. So it's every once in a while oh. I like to check in on it because I'm mean, <laughs> Come on. It's also very funny. Yeah, because <laughs> I think it's one of those things where every once in a while I'll ask Patrick, hey, can I can I re- put a clip of this in? Uh, he's like, let me ask the person who's involved. And I'm like, fair, fair enough. Please ask them if they're OK with it, because it is a it's weird. It is definitely weird. But I mean, that's to be expected. But you're not on that record. I don't think so. OK, okay. I, I, I I'm pretty sure I'm not. Um, I don't even remember, you know, like I remember it existing yes but i don't remember like how they did it where they recorded it or anything about it so Mm -hmm. yeah you know what i didn't think to ask patrick that either i'm gonna have to dig into it a little further especially if we can get be nice to get more people's permission as you say maybe algene doesn't want that one coming up but yeah get a a few especially at this point in time yeah of course no it's fair although who has done is it david sedaris does billy holiday and Mm. sure it's insensitive but it's also weirdly uh, it's it's eerie. It's eerie how much David Sedaris can make him sound himself sound like Billy Holiday. Um, David Sedaris was a childhood playmate of mine when I was like really? about four years old. Yeah. I forgot that he lived in upstate New York for a period of time. Mm-hmm. Before he his his dad and my dad were were close friends, and we mm-hmm. uh, we spent a lot of time together. And then and then they went down to uh, to Raleigh. Mm-hmm. You know, because my all everybody I knew, their parents worked for IBM. And okay. so the, people were constantly getting transferred. That was like, you know, it, they said IBM stands for I've been moved. <laughs> and um, so almost I and I never, you know, my dad never got transferred. So I spent my yeah. entire I grew up entirely in in, uh, in Endicott. But but like a lot of the people I knew, you know, just, you know, ended up either in Raleigh or, or um, Huntsville, Alabama or, huh. you know, some of these places were pretty not places you'd really want to go, I don't think. <laughs> as a young writer wait a minute so is this around the time when computers were finally was your did your dad have access to the early computers i guess yeah, yeah no in fact i was um when i was in high school mm-hmm. my dad ran you know the explorer scouts which is kind of like the pre-professional sure. version of the boy scouts yeah my dad ran a um explorer meeting at ibm for for like oh my god interested in computers okay and at the time um my friends and I, the same, the same people that were doing that Airboard Chronicles thing, were doing a uh, science fiction and fantasy like fanzine. Yes. And so we would go to the Explorer meeting and get on the computer, and it would allow us to format all our articles and print so them out. Good. So good. And that was, you know, that's like 1975. So. Was this. It wasn't the IBM Display Writer, was it? Because that is that is something that I had access to in the '90s. That is definitely from the early '80s, late '70s. I only asked. No, this was this was all giant. done on mainframe computers. Okay, wow. those huge ones that you see in the movies with the, the reels of tape Love going it. around and around, and like the so you know the gigantic rooms that are that have to be like cooled for the computer to be yeah. in. Yeah, and oh. so and then so 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 you'd work at a, a, a remote terminal. Mm-hmm. Your stuff would go into the computer, and then it would be printed out at a remote um, printer somewhere. Love it. Oh, that's so good. I yeah. Just like young artists, too, to be like, oh, we can make our own shit with this? Cool. Yeah. Let's please do this. <laughs> I love it. And it's uh, so, you know, I, as a result, we never really learned anything about computer programming or something, anything that would be useful. It was just like, let's use this to... <laughs> 
print out our stuff. Nothing that would make you the next Steve Jobs or Bill Gates. You're just like, no, no, no. We we have fa- we have a zine to make. Thank yeah, you. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's amazing. That's where the future is. Yeah, right. Zines. zines. Everybody. Computer stuff. <laughs> eh. On a level, you're not wrong because podcasts are just zines, but real boring sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, that's that's kind of what's happened. I mean, I'm a fan of records, so I can't shut up about records. So let's get people to come on and talk about records. Um did you so after this, presuming you bought it, let's say you bought this one yourself, um, do you like what were your tastes in records or did that kind of drop off? Some people don't ever really listen to that many later on. I don't know. I did because I mean, you mentioned I, Python having a cassette of Python. Yeah. But I did have some I had some comedy records and oh, I was a, 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 a huge George Carlin fan. Yeah. I had those. I remember. I had. I definitely had those on vinyl. Um, you know, and it's hard to remember like what stuff that I actually own. But you know, but but if I had, I mean, it's it's such a different experience when you actually have it because you play it over and over and over of course, again. Yeah. You know, which I I always think is something that's so interesting about how things have changed. You know, since I was a kid, I and mean, you know, when I was a kid, like records you might be able to listen to over and over again but anything else anything that was on video or anything like that you you would be lucky to get a chance to ever see it again yeah Yeah. you know as opposed to being able to listen to something again and again and again that's that's probably what made records so appealing in in back in the day because it was the only thing you could do that with and you could share it. I mean, again, that's what comes up all the time is how yeah. often I got to share this stuff with my friends because I could either physically give them to them or by the time I was, you know, young and or old enough, I could just tape them copies. But it was just, yeah, I mean, and in, in the it's in the same way that I've got a bunch of BBC records that are just episodes of Faulty Towers or episodes of these other sitcoms, two episodes on an episode on either side where Mm. it's just like, yeah, how the hell else we're going to share this videotape doesn't exist or it's too expensive. So here you go. Here's a friggin' record. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, I would like you if you if you do not have to recommend it, but why recommend, especially since most people don't know who David Fry is, I can guarantee it. uh, Why listen to this? I really like this cover. Why listen to this record? Wow. (laughs) <laughs> you know, I mean, it's that would be a question that I would have to answer individually for different people being of, yeah. of different ages. Mm-hmm. Because if you if you don't remember Richard Nixon, it's worth listening to just to to get a sense of 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 you know what a what a comedic figure he was. Yeah, and um, but I, I don't even know. I don't even know what I would say to people because, you know, if you don't know who these people are, like if you don't know who uh, Billy Graham is, mm-hmm. you know, and nobody knows who George Jessel is. I be- barely know who George <laughs> knew who George Jessel was at the time this sure. came out. Sure. You know, and there's a, there's 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 so many people on this, um, and it, there's a character named Paradise who's who's this like gay prisoner. Uh-huh. who I think is based on Truman Capote, but I don't it know. sounds a lot like Truman Capote. But I yeah. don't know if, if there was some reason they felt like, it, like that they, of all the people, like they didn't mind using everyone else's name. Right, right. So why didn't they say, you know, here's, you know, prisoner Capote is, in your, is your cellmate, you know? Right, right. Yeah, it was weird. 
It was, yeah. uh, it, it might be the one moment where I was like definitely cringing. We're like, okay, this seems unnecessary. The rest of it though, the rest of the record, I, you know, at the very least was funny. There, there yeah. are good gags throughout it. I had even forgotten, already forgotten that George Jessel was even Jesus. That's <laughs> I know. Really, really funny. And he was somebody I like, I really, he was, I remember, um, not Frank Gorshin, but there was another, there, you know, do you remember the show, The Copycats? Did you ever see that? No, I've never seen that. It was a show with Frank Gorshin and a bunch of, a short-lived show, but mm -hmm. with a bunch of impressionists in wow. it. And this is like in the late 60s, maybe early 70s. Whoa. And I remember there was, I, I mean, I always loved those guys. So, you know, um, I can't remember who was on that show, but I, mm -hmm. but um do you remember John Biner? He was another impressionist. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. From, from that era, but there was somebody who did this George Jessel impression, and I always remember thinking it was funny. Yeah. But I yeah. don't know who the hell this person is. Yeah. You know, and um, I'm and of the I'm, age you know, where I discovered George Jessel through Billy West doing him on Futurama. So I mean, that's mm -hmm. you know, <laughs> that's where I learned about him. And is it? It's so interesting. Like some of these people who nobody. You know, you know, nobody even remembers. There's barely anyone alive that remembers George Jessel. Mm -hmm. And and I don't know if he's still, you know, if he's in anyone's consciousness. But but there are, you know, some people like like you, you think do you think anybody knows who Jimmy Durante is anymore? It's a very good question. I guarantee they know offshoots of who he is just the same way people mm -hmm. know who um Edwin is, but they don't know who Edwin is. Right. You know, they know the voice because it's still in con in the consciousness. But yeah, yeah or W. C. Fields, For who sure. they may know from like people doing impressions of him in commercials. Yeah, yeah. It's it's interesting that those have become that an entire person's character that they worked on for years and got famous and rich for has now become this weird shortcut to well, I, I got a voice I can do. You know, this this will help me. I mean, to the point where it, in in uh, what you call it, Wreck It Ralph. I mean, that's all he's doing. What's his name is doing? Uh, Alan Tudyk is just doing Edwin the whole time. It's great. It's a good Edwin. It's a very, but it's it is weird that people don't know who that is. Yeah, you know, and I I remember not knowing who Edwin was. Mm -hmm. Um, at, but I, I but you know when I finally saw him for real. I mean, I think it. I think he did a lot of voices. Yes. Yeah. Um, but to actually, but I, what he looked like and I mean, and he's been caricatured a lot. So, so I wasn't so surprised when I found out what he looked like, but, <laughs> um, but it was, but it was interesting cause he wasn't really anyone who was, I don't, I guess he wasn't even alive when I was, when I was, I don't know when he died, but I would guess um, in the sixties or seventies. Yeah. My, for, for some reason, my mother was always convinced that she was seeing Keenan win. You know, like we would be like, you know, you know, hiking in the Adirondack Mountains. And she says, I think that's Keenan Wynn. <laughs> and I didn't even know who he was. Uh -huh. <laughs> that's funny because my, my mother and I, like I said, are just interviewing her. And we were talking uh, briefly about uh, the character actor, Ed Mac uh, Ed John MacGyver. Sorry. Uh, I don't know if you know who he was. If if you saw him, you know exactly who it was. Bald character actor, but he lived in Schoharie, New York. He was... Uh, it, for some reason, he worked out here all the time on a bunch of stuff with Lucille Ball, but he stayed in upstate New York for the wow. rest of his life. It's very weird. I don't. Um, I the name is very familiar, but is, oh, was yeah. I think I, I was he like kind of like somebody who would play like a a boss all the time, all the yeah, time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, now I remember who he is. And he's yep. kind of like he sounded English, but he was not remotely. English. He had this mid Atlantic yeah. thing, but he was. I think he was even from possibly 
New, at least New York City, um, if not. But he lived in upstate New York for the rest of his life, which is very strange. I haven't thought of him in a very, very, very long time. Yeah, he's got his weird place in my family's heart just because my grandma knew him a little bit. Oh. Um, that was a weird side thing that I just let us on. Um, Peter, uh, I really appreciate you talking with me um, oh, about this. Oh, it's been uh, would you now this is not going to come out for some time unless you've got something urgent to promote um, so it'll be possibly two months until this comes out so do you, you know I any... work in animation so yeah that's a good point a really long timeline <laughs> so it's point. not like you know I'm I'm gonna be at the uh, dinner theater tomorrow night I guess nobody <laughs> nobody's gonna be at the dinner theater tomorrow night um, but no I don't I you know, there's nothing that I have to promote that would be, I, I have a feeling that the crossover between your audience and the audience of Thomas and friends uh-huh. or the new Rugrats is probably very small. So um, <laughs> I don't really have anything to promote. Maybe they have kids, but uh, where can they find you? Do you have a, an internet internet presence you'd like people to know about or are you? No, hiding? I don't. I, I, you, you can find me on Facebook, I guess. But, you know, I, I was just thinking I better do something about that LinkedIn account that I that I, uh, you know, got like 15 years ago and haven't done anything with because maybe people actually look at that when they're thinking about hiring me. And maybe. Uh, so it's hard to say. I can never. Do. I will tell you, I have found people to interview on the podcast through there. Be like, oh, that person's still alive. That's cool. That's that's usually what it helps me with is usually just, oh, cool. They're still alive. They're updating their LinkedIn. I was just I, I just found out that Shecky Green is still alive. Isn't that? Uh, yeah, I've tried to get him on the show before. Maybe I should try again. But yeah, I didn't, uh, I don't think I knew that. Yeah, isn't that funny? It's like 94 and living in Vegas. Yeah. I, uh, th- those people usually, by the way, are some of the best interviews because, well, again, they've got 94 years worth of stories. Uh, yeah, it, he it sounds like, uh, he sounds like a really fun guy. And he I, sounds I like imagine. somebody that, that was, was, uh, so much better in nightclubs than he ever was on TV. Sure. Just like yeah. that, that was his milieu and, um, so I so I bet he would be I would bet he'd be a fantastic guest. Plus his name is Shecky. Come on, yeah, it's hard to be. It's just Shecky. like it's amazing that he's still alive. It's amazing, you know. It's like you, you kind of think of like uh, all those people. I mean, I guess Jerry Lewis was alive until a few years ago. Sure. Um, <laughs> he would I, not have been a good guest. <laughs> no, no, uh, that would have ended badly, very badly, <laughs> very badly. We were we talked about Comic Relief '86 the other day, a couple weeks ago. I keep bringing this album up because it's terrible. Jerry Lewis's thing on it is one of the worst things I've ever seen in my life. Really, it's so terrible. Just because he walks out on stage with the smuggest look on his face, and then does a bit where he's a five a five year old boy, and I'm like, oh God, can you do something else, please? Please don't do this for <laughs> ten minutes. What feels like ten minutes, and it's god awful. It's too bad because again, funny movies. A lot of the people I guess I, I sometimes he never I never saw the appeal, but yeah, I mean I'm saying that, but those are things I laughed at when I was five. So yeah. I because oh, because I know people that think he's a genius, a great director, and, and you know right. a comic genius. And I it's it's one of those things that there's there are certain uh, people that are very very um, polarizing, like the Three Stooges. Yeah, yeah. I yeah. mean I hate the Three Stooges. You probably <laughs> love the Three Stooges. No. No, <laughs> no, I'm fine with them, but I, no, I'm not, no, they're not, not my deal. I like the Marx Brothers, not that there's, yeah. there's but I do prefer the Marx Brothers. The Marx over. Brothers are it, it, at least theoretically funny. Yeah. 
Yeah. <laughs> I mean, come on. There's, yeah. there's too much good stuff. Even they, they've got they've got a whole book worth of ju- jokes about ducks. I mean, come on. You make a joke about ducking behind yeah. the couch. Um, I really appreciate you doing the show. And well, thanks. Thanks for having me. It's been a long time coming, so I'm glad we finally got a chance to do this, even though it's in, uh, you know, in the COVID nineteen uh, space boy. of doing it yeah. remotely. But. But it's been fun. Um, And I want to thank everybody for listening. And as always, have a good thing. Comedy on Vinyl is a production of Stolen Dress Entertainment. It is produced by Mike Warden and is hosted and edited by Jason Klom. Our theme song was composed and performed by Richard Levinson. You can email us at podcast at comedyonvinyl.com. You can also send snail mail to Stolen Dress Entertainment, P.O. Box 805, Burbank, California, 91503. Subscribe to Comedy on Vinyl on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and anywhere else you can find podcasts. Give us a five-star rating and write us a review. It helps. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Comedy on Vinyl, or find everything in one place at ComedyOnVinyl.com. A major portion of Comedy on Vinyl has been underwritten by Stand Up Records. Please visit StandUpRecords.com for all your comedy needs and tune in to the new Stand Up Records channel available on the Roku, where you can also find select episodes of this podcast. Visit StolenDress.com to listen to our other podcasts, watch videos, and imbibe freely of our multimedia content going back 15 plus years. Dress Entertainment. Hey, it's my turn. Ah!